Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, it's Andy Bueller, high school sports reporter and host of the Scorebook Live Today podcast. So the coronavirus has shut down schools and halted high school sports, but we're taking things up a notch in hopes to help during this time of great uncertainty. Each day, we're releasing a special episode of this podcast called Dickow's Quarantine Series, where our own Dan Dickow interviews an expert in their respective field, from coaches to trainers, authors to uh, former standout athletes. Subscribe to this podcast for free, and please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep everyone safe by washing your hands and following the governor's stay-at-home mandate. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Here's Dan Dickow after a word from our sponsor. Are you a small business impacted by the coronavirus? Washington Federal is here to help. Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live, and it's offering a five-year business line of credit with 90 days interest for free to businesses that have seen a 10% or greater drop. Apply now to receive up to $200,000 on business lines of credit. The folks at Washington Federal understand small businesses may need an emergency loan. They're doing their best to help during this global pandemic. If you're a small business owner who needs help, head to wafdbank.com to apply. Questions? Email business.lifeline at wafd.com. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, Washington. Today's podcast, as you know, uh, with all of the uncertainty in the world going on uh, with the COVID-19, I'm doing my best to bring a daily interview with an expert in their respective field in the world of sports. And today, uh, we, we have a unique and special guest, um, spent nearly 40 years in professional sports as an executive with some of the greatest uh, sports organizations uh, out there, uh, including 28 years with the Chicago Bulls as the executive vice president of business, uh, none other than Steve Shanwald. Uh, Steve, how are you today, bud? Good, Danny. Good to be with you, Matt. Absolutely. Well, I know uh, on a typical April morning for you, you'd be probably on about the sixth or seventh hole by now uh, playing some golf. Uh, and unfortunately, that's not the case. So we're going to be able to go back and talk about some of your uh, phenomenal experiences and, and maybe get some advice and, and some nuggets that are going to help some current student athletes, players, um, six, coaches. Sixth six or seventh hole and about six or seven over. <laughs> Hey, well, everyone's got to understand where their, their strengths and, and weaknesses lies and their ability truly lies. So, um, you know, if, if we can impart some knowledge on coaches, players, parents, that'd be great. So a um, little bit of your background. You grew up in the New York area, um, but you, you played high school sports, but you knew that you loved sports and then you wanted to be involved with sports. How did sports as a youngster shape and mold you kind of with your work ethic um, and your attention to detail. Yeah, man. Yeah, I did. I, I love sports, but I was just a mediocre athletic talent. You've seen me golf, so you know that's a true statement. Um, and at the time I was growing up on Long Island, 
uh, sports marketing, there was no such thing. I mean, if you wanted to work in sports, and I was a diehard New York Yankees fan and um, in an era when it was really hard to be a Yankees fan. So if you're going to do that, you're going to be either traveling secretary or director of public relations. But what happened was, uh, as we moved through the mid-70s and free agency came into being in professional sports, and um, Title IX came into being on the collegiate level, those two factors were putting financial pressures on college athletic administrators, professional sports team owners that hadn't existed prior to that. And so in the mid-70s, when Title IX was created and when uh, Andy Messersmith became a free agent in baseball, the floodgates opened and the whole sports marketing industry um, kind of developed and sprouted. And, and I went to the University of Maryland to go to college. And Maryland happened to have the first sports marketing office in the history of the intercollegiate athletics. It was a, they started it in like late 60s, 1969. I worked for a guy named Russ Potts, who was the uh, first ever collegiate sports marketing director. And uh, I walked in one day to the sports marketing office and I asked for a job. I was an undergrad. I was in my sophomore year and they said they had no money to pay me. And I said, well, that's okay. I'll work for free uh, just to get the experience. And so uh, Maryland hired me to be an intern in the sports marketing office. I did that for three years uh, as an undergraduate, did everything from getting coffee and delivering mail to distributing bumper stickers and pocket schedules and just stuff like that. And when I graduated, there was such a lack of a talent pool. This was in 1978 uh, for college and pro entities that wanted to get more aggressive with generating the revenue that they needed to pay athletic scholarships and uh, to pay player salaries that the U.S. Air Force Academy hired me right out of college to be their first ever director of sports promotions. So I'm 22 years old. I moved to Colorado Springs. The head football coach in his first ever job at a, as a head coach on any level was a guy named Bill Parcells. And the assistant basketball coach was a guy named Greg Popovich. And so I went there for a year. You meet people along the way. And among the people I met was the associate athletic director at Notre Dame, who had a friend who was running business operations for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were looking to hire somebody to help generate revenue. They hired me away from the academy to be their first ever director of promotions, generating revenue, and overseeing game entertainment. So I went to the Pittsburgh Pirates in my first year, 1979, we won the World Series, and I got my first world championship ring that year. I was there for two years, and then, lo and behold, the guy that I worked for for free at the University of Maryland ended up getting hired by the Chicago White Sox to be their first, uh, to be their director, to be their vice president of marketing. He hired me away at the age of 25 to be his number two guy in Chicago with the White Sox. Worked there for six years, during which time Jerry Reinsdorf, in the middle of Michael Jordan's rookie season, bought the Chicago Bulls. Jerry Reinsdorf owned the White Sox. He then owned the Bulls. And uh, he promoted me from the number two marketing guy at the White Sox to be the number one marketing guy at the Bulls, where I was for the next 28 and a half years. And got to experience, you know, everything and everything and anything that came with the being a part of the Michael Jordan era. That's pretty incredible uh, progression and, and transition from high school athlete who loved it, wanted to stay involved, understood uh, kind of where their ceiling was, but how to transition their work ethic into a next new opportunity. 
you talked about being a young Maryland student and then a very young executive at the Air Force at 22. How would you recommend a young athlete set or a young person trying to get into to the business of sports? How do you separate yourself as a young person in a field which now has a lot of people that want to get into it? Yeah. Wow, you're right. Um, and that's that you've kind of hit on the key thing is how do you separate yourself from all these people that because we get hundreds of resumes a year when I was working for the Bulls. And what do you do to distinguish yourself? What do you do to stand out from the pack? And everybody's got to kind of find their own path. You know, in my case, I was willing to work for free for a while, just to get my foot in the door. Um, but I think you have to I think it's a numbers game, Dan, like anything else. I the advice I give to young people, and I get asked all the time, how can I get into the business? How can I do what you did? It's a numbers game like sales is. And uh, you've got to knock on as many doors as you can. If you knock on 100 doors, you're going to have a 10 times better chance to get that first opportunity than if you knock on 10 doors. Uh, you've got to, I think, uh, seek out mentors, people who can be mentors. Don't go, look for an opportunity to get in front of people who have a position that you aspire to and go meet with them, not to ask for a job because everybody's asking for a job. Call them up, email them, write them a letter, tell them you're looking for it. Tell them how much respect you have for what they've done with their lives and their professional careers and tell them you'd really appreciate 10 or 15 minutes of their time to get in front of them and to pick their brain and to get guidance and advice about how they can, how, uh, how, how you can do what they did. Everybody really, I think, likes to be a mentor and likes to help people. I know that, uh, you know, people have often said to me, you know, what did you like best about your job? And, you know, I talked about being a part of the, you know, being a part of an entity that was the focal point of a community was number one. Number two was, being part of a group of people working towards a common goal. Both those things were very rewarding. The third thing was um, the most rewarding thing, which was trying to help people climb the ladder the way people helped me climb the ladder. And so I think that seek out as many people as you can identify, get in front of those people, not to ask for a job, but ask them for guidance and advice. They'll remember you for that. And uh, when they hear of an opening or when they have one themselves, they'll keep you in mind because be impressed that you didn't just come in looking for a job. You, you went in there looking for guidance and advice about how to start climbing the ladder. I think that that's really good advice because you're right. So many times people in that first phone call uh, or email are asking for a job as opposed to building a relationship. And, and I think, what a lot of people that have been successful in business and or sports have realized is uh, the relationships and the network that you grow leads to opportunity. And that opportunity, if the time is right, is, is going to be very fruitful uh, for all involved. Um, be, be creative also. I, I remember once I got a resume from uh, a young lady who was looking for a job in our, in our uh, kind of our creative department. And uh, her name was Kelly Ham, and she sent me her resume attached to a ham, so that I wouldn't forget her name or who she was. It got my attention. It was different, and uh, she stood out. And she got the job. <laughs> I like that one. That's that 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 is cr truly creative. 
Uh, you mentioned a little bit about your the role that you had within uh, the city of Chicago. We go from the White Sox to the Bulls um, when they were just fresh with a young player by the name of I think it was Michael Jordan. Many people consider him the greatest player of all time. You were literally in Chicago at the start of what I consider the greatest sports career uh, ever. How did you and your team from the business perspective look at there is something special going on here. This is unique. This now you don't want to take advantage of him, but you want to you want to make sure that your business is ready to um, share every positive thing, every accolade that is about to come their way um, to drive his career forward to uh, complimenting his athletic stuff, but on the business side, to complement him business-wise, but also the, the organization business-wise. And I know that's kind of a, a bounce-around question, but how did you foresee and then be able to maximize him being a part of the Chicago Bulls organization? Yeah. Well, it, it didn't take a lot of effort. I mean, I mean, all the attention and his abilities and fact that every single one of our games was on TV and that we were on Sports Center every night, that stuff kind of took care of itself, Dan, and we didn't really have to add to it. I think one of the things that I tried to do with Michael was to just stay out of his way and to ease the burden on him as much as I could because he had so much pressure uh, coming at him from all different sides. I mean, literally from the time he would walk into the United Center or Chicago Stadium when I first got there, he would be surrounded by an entourage. And I'm not kidding when I say there'd be about eight people around him. And, um, and then everybody would be tugging at him. And so really what I tried to do, uh, uh, being in charge of marketing and business operations of the Bulls, was really just to stay out of his way and ask as little of him as possible. Um, we got to a point where we were selling out every game, obviously, because we had the greatest basketball player that ever lived. It was becoming readily apparent. Uh, we had not started to win championships yet. We hadn't gotten to the point where we won six and eight years. Could have been eight in a row if Michael didn't retire the first time. But um, so uh, my thing was really to two things. One was to stay out of his way, ask as little of him as possible. And, and the second was uh, how are we going to prepare for the day, Dan, the inevitable day when the music would stop, we would stop winning championships and Michael would retire for whatever reason. And that day we knew that day was coming. And so the challenge was not how to fill seats and maximize advertising revenues uh, during the Jordan era. The challenge was how are we going to keep this thing going to buy our basketball department the time they needed to get lucky in the lottery again and get us the talent that we needed to become a contender again. And, uh, you know, I'm pleased to say that when, when Jordan retired for the second time after the 97-98 championship, our sixth and eight years, um, the next six years we compiled a one-loss percentage of .262. We won 26% of our games. We lost 74% of our games. The games we lost were not nail biters. We were getting blown out every night. We were, I don't know, maybe on, on a level of a CBA team, and I'm not kidding, um, maybe a step above that. Yet we led the league in attendance over that six-year period. And I think the maxim in our business was that if you win, you draw. And if you lose, you don't. 
And I'm very happy that we were able to kind of dispel that notion that the only way you could um, sell out arenas was with a winning product. We, we proved that if you had the right strategies, if you did things the right way, we tried when we were winning championships to uh, service our customers as though we were a last place team and have that mindset, not that we were a first place team. We never took our customers for granted or our success at the gate or revenues for granted. Uh, we tried to always plan for the day that we knew the music would stop, which of course it did. And, uh, and so I'm very pleased that in that six year span, we compiled the worst six year one loss record in NBA history uh, for a non-expansion team. We were able to continue to lead the league in attendance. Uh, that's phenomenal as far as foreseeing the future, whether good or bad, and how to prepare for it. And that's something that um, all great coaches, all great business leaders uh, must do. Um, I came across a, a pretty unique article um, from from a few years back when you were still uh, working day-to-day with the Bulls. And I think it ties in a lot to what Scorebook Live Washington does and Scorebook Live California as well um, in the fact that newspapers are trimming down their coverage of literally all sports, um, but in particular high school sports, uh, which is our focus. Uh, We've got two journalists in Washington, two in California. You had the opportunity when the Chicago Tribune, I believe it was, they cut one of their big bulls beat writers, Sam Smith. You decided to, to make the decision to bring him in house and have him work for you guys. I look at a lot of similarities uh, between that decision and some of the things that we're doing with Scorebook Live Washington. Would you agree, and and, and how did you come about with that decision? Well, Dan, I was alarmed because uh, I saw what was happening in the print media. Sports sections were getting smaller. If you watch the local sports news at nights on, on TV, they give you, I don't know, maybe not even five minutes. Maybe they give you three minutes to talk about local sports. And I was alarmed that all this free advertising, and that was always how I viewed uh, what the news media print and electronic gave us was as free advertising. I was alarmed that, uh, that that was disappearing for us. And that was a huge part of our, of our ability to be successful marketing our product. And so Sam Smith uh, wrote the Jordan rules is one of the most respected uh, basketball writers to this day in America Uh, and uh, a great writer and really knows basketball and his connections are second to none. When I saw this happen and I knew that digital marketing and our, and our website bulls.com was becoming more and more important to us as a vehicle for getting the word out about the bulls and as a vehicle for telling our story, our way, uh, I said, we need a guy who can help create content. And so I went and talked to Sam, and, uh, and Sam was willing and enthusiastic. And I talked to our owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, and he saw the wisdom of it. And so we went out and hired Sam, and, and Sam is a prolific writer. I mean, if you, if you follow him or read him on bulls.com, I mean, he, he, his articles are – are, are really long and really insightful. And uh, so I think it's one of the, the best things we ever did. And, and I think we were the first team to do it in sports. And you'll see now that pretty much every team that has their own website, they all do, uh, has their own uh, staff writer or writers who are contributing content uh, to their dot-com sites. 
you had a, a very large role uh, of making decisions, of hiring people, of putting plans together. Um, high school coaches um, are essentially the CEO of the, their high school's basketball programs. What advice would you give to a coach in that position where they have to manage multiple positions, multiple hats, and make decisions uh, for success while balancing a relationship with many parents and players? Well, I think the, mo the most important thing to be successful in any walk of life is to be true to who you are, uh, be true to the way the good Lord made you, um, be yourself. People can see through a phony right away. And uh, so that's rule number one. But rule number two, in my opinion, is to put your players and, uh, or, and in my case, you know, your employees first. Make sure they know. It's very important for them to know if they're going to follow you anywhere and you're going to lead them anywhere, that you care about them as, as, as people and uh, that you put their interests ahead of your, your own. If they know that you care about their well-being as people, they will follow you anywhere and run through a brick wall for you. So for me, uh, in terms of leadership, be honest, um, be kind, be yourself, and make sure that the players you're coaching understand that you really care about them and their success and their future and will do anything you can to ensure that they will have successful and happy lives following their high school experience. Some more good words. I know uh, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I've got one last question for you. And, and I'm sure anybody that's going to listen to this uh, podcast interview would be curious because you spent 28 years with the Bulls. Uh, you saw some things that um, everybody would have interest in, and that's six championships in eight years with Michael Jordan. Do you have one Michael Jordan memory, whether it's uh, an off-the-court conversation you had, whether it's uh, a play that he made that um, would just be really insightful to just how dominant he was? Man, Dan, there's just a, a, series, of, a series of impressions. Um, he was relentless. You know, when people ask me about him, he was just relentless in the pursuit of excellence in the pursuit of being as good as he could be in the pursuit of trying to elevate his players to his high standard of excellence. There was never a more, a guy that I saw with a more relentless work ethic uh, practices. It's cliche perhaps. And you see this in all the great ones. I think it's funny how the great players are all like this, but the hardest players on the court, for any team that I've ever observed, and I'm sure any team you've ever been associated with, Dan, without, without fail are always the best players on the team. The best players always seem to have the, you know, the, the, the greatest work ethic. And uh, they're the people that don't need to have that great work, but work, great work ethic, but, but they do. Um, his energy was something that always stood out to me. When, you know, we played some golf together. The first time we played golf, he broke my nose with, with a backswing. His clubs are extra long. His arms are extra long. And he clipped me right in the nose, and I was gushing <laughs> blood. That was the first time. Second time we played, we played 54 holes in one day, teed off at 8 in the morning, finished at 8 at night. Um, he um, – but his smile could light up a room. Um, 
I don't know exactly what it is. I've heard Charles Barkley say this. I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. Michael Jordan just had it. Uh, his smile, his personality. Uh, he took over a room whenever he walked into it. Um, and he still has it to this day, arguably the most successful. And I don't think there's much doubt about that. So I don't know, man. Um, it, it, I, I remember after we lost game one in the 1991 NBA Finals uh, at home against the Lakers. And um, then we ended up winning game two. And you'll, you'll remember, Dan, I think, with game two where Michael – that was the game where Michael – was going up, and James Worthy, I think it was, came over and was going to block his shot, and Michael then went up with his other hand and, and, and put it in with the other hand. It was like one of those jaw-dropping moments. Do you remember that play? Yeah, absolutely. And you can still see it on YouTube, I'm sure. And, and I remember we were tied 1-1 going back to L.A. <laughs> I remember how down we were after we lost the first game, and then we won the second one in resounding fashion. And Michael basically guaranteed us. We were walking on the plane, and, and, and Michael said, uh, he says, uh, don't worry about – he basically was telling everybody not to worry about it. He had a big cigar lit, and he says, we ain't – we ain't going to be coming back to play another game here in Chicago. We're going to win three in a row out there. He, he basically guaranteed it, and he backed up his words. Now, this is against the Lakers, who, you know, had just come off a decade of dominance in the 80s, along with the Celtics, and uh, had Magic Johnson and, um, and James Worthy. And I can't remember. I don't think Kareem was still around then. But anyway, um, might have been Vladi. Anyway, it was just his overall confidence and um, his confidence and his relentlessness just always stood out to me, Dan. Yeah, confidence in whatever you're doing, relentlessness, whatever uh, industry or sport you're in, I think is huge. So, uh, Steve, I really appreciate the time. Um, I hope that uh, we as a country can get through this as quickly as possible and that you and I can get on the golf course at some point uh, soon. I know I've, we've had a chance to play a time or two and, and look forward to the next time that's the case. But again, appreciate the time. Thanks for, uh, for being a resource and sharing some great words of advice and some good, great stories and memories. So thank you again. Great being with you, bud. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube